This Hawk Talk is brought to you by the NSU Wesley Foundation. The NSU Wesley is a Methodist campus ministry dedicated to serving the community. Every week, they serve a free lunch for NSU students, faculty, and staff from 11 to 2 on Wednesdays. This is quickly followed by Club Sammy, a program geared towards feeding those with food insecurity in the community. Finals week, students can get free breakfast, lunch, and dinner from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. at 405 South Going Snake Street, Tahlequah, OK. For more information, call 918-822-1913. Good morning, NSU. Welcome back to the Hawk Talk Morning Show, the podcast where we discuss any and all things happening on NSU campus. In the morning, my name is Angel Ford, and I'm here with my co-host, NJ Hudson. Hi, good morning, NSU. We're joined today by Associate Professor in the Creative Writing Program, Christopher Murphy, as well as Professor in Media, Dr. David Scott. They're going to be telling us about the upcoming Visions Creative Writing Competition. So welcome in, guys. Howdy. Thank you. Thank you both for coming in to record with us. We actually recorded an episode about this topic with you previously, Murphy, and we appreciate you coming back to rehash what we've already discussed. But Yeah, I was just terrible on that. So I'm glad we're re-recording it. <laughs> no, you were great. Thank you for coming back. And thank you, Dr. Scott, for oh, coming. Oh, yeah. Thank nope. you. This is first time having you on here. And we love your classes. So we knew we had to have the infamous Dr. Scott on our podcast. No, this will be so. fun. This will be great. Yeah. We're going to jump right into the topic this week. So, Murphy, what can you tell us about Visions? See, so Visions is the conference, kind of originally languages and literature, although it's expanded since then, as a chance for faculty and students to showcase their work. It traditionally, and this year, goes for two days. First day is a little bit more casual and a little bit more creative writing focused, although we've expanded that as well. And then the second day is a little bit more strictly academically focused, and we have students and faculty there presenting on their research, whether it be literature or rhetoric or or areas outside of languages and literature. Oftentimes we have a visiting writer the first day. We'll have a keynote speaker the second day. There's awards given out. It is just generally a, a nerdy good time. Dr. Scott, you'll be presenting at Visions. Your first of two appearances will be presenting your essay, Us and Them, The Strategic Use of Labeling in Political Discourse. This sounds like a supercharged topic, especially nowadays. I'd love to hear a little bit about what you're bringing to this with writing this essay, and maybe we can even spark up some debate live on the podcast. Well, basically, communication is a very interdisciplinary field, and part of my background has always been in political science. And so I've always followed political discourse very closely. And one of the things that a lot of observers have noted that we have more sort of labeling taking place today than perhaps in the past. And on a parallel level, we're seeing less focus on issues and more about what we would call us and them. And so I'm involved in a research project right now where we're trying to quantify the trend in political labeling to see what that tells us about our political culture today. And I think it's interesting that at the 2020 Republican convention, they didn't even have a platform, that they just basically said, well, we're about Trump. And putting that aside, whether or not you like Trump or not like Trump, I think it's highly disturbing that people can't even articulate why they have a, a political allegiance to a particular candidate or party that's more based on identity than it is about issues. And if it's not based on issues, then it makes the political process very difficult to work because uh, you know, there's nothing to resolve. It's more about combat and, and me against you. And I think that's something we need to at least document, acknowledge, then hopefully raise our consciousness about it, where hopefully we can start moving in a more positive direction. That's really interesting. And 
I like that you're bringing this up mainly because amongst my friends themselves, they've talked about doing away with parties altogether because of this discourse. Is this something that's covered in this topic that you're discussing or is it something that you think will be discussed further? No, there's been some other research done on this, but not a lot. And I, I think, you know, in some sense, some of the questions that have kind of gone unanswered would be, oh, are there certain cohorts that are more predispositioned to use labeling as a form of political discourse? Part of me suspects that one political party might be more guilty uh, of political labeling than the other party. But you have to be careful not to make those kinds of accusations until you have an empirical basis for doing so. And that's what this research hopes to do is hopes to document who does this, why they do it, and potentially what impact it has on the political system. So this sounds like it's going to be very topical. Maybe maybe start some arguments within the attendees, would you say? Hopefully not arguments, but hopefully raise consciousness about trends of discourse that we tend to just take for granted and not question the impacts it has on our culture. And, and I think we need to at least quantify what's taking place, see what trend in terms of long term trend of this phenomenon, and then maybe discuss what we could do to mitigate it. So, Dr. Scott, it seems like if that's the case, then political debates would almost become existential, right? Because you'd be attacking somebody's identity. So does it make the idea of compromise more difficult or the idea of even budging off one's position? No, I think you're absolutely right that issue-based discourse basically implies that there's a substantive disagreement between you and me, and we could resolve that disagreement by discussing the substance itself. But if the disagreement's based on a label or an identity, that's much harder to address. And as such, it makes conflict irresolvable to a large extent. So if, for instance, if I label you as a, a radical leftist that's totally incompatible with the values of America, where do we go from here? I mean, it's pretty. It's a pretty badass label. So I don't know. It's uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. emphasis on radical. I mean, in yeah. a sense, discourse is serving the function of, of pushing us apart, as opposed to trying to bring us together. And I think we need to bring about a, a sort of a new discourse etiquette, if you will, in terms of trying to like discourage this kind of labeling because it makes it almost impossible to have constructive dialogue once you've entered in, you know, gone down that rhetorical pathway. Yeah. I think a lot that comes with labeling is really anybody that's labeled automatically is on a defensive. Like they don't want to hear what you're saying if you're already labeling something certain, something completely out of the realm of what they believe. Well, you know, labels come and go a little bit. And it's interesting to see what labels are bubbling up in this campaign cycle. And of course, one word I keep hearing over and over again is the label of woke. Now, that's somewhat subjective. But the idea being that if I'm anti-woke, then that means that I'm against people, really, and attitudes towards people. And I mean, there are some issue implications to that label, but I think the issues are almost secondary to the label. Well, it's kind of difficult for me to reconcile this idea of us versus them because I am part of a community that is largely under attack by a very large political group right now, and it's really scary. And the idea of hashing it out and talking to someone who is going to be directly opposed to me, it's really scary. It's really frightening. It is frightening. And also, I think it'd be also be useful to look at other labels that are more inclusive. And so traditionally, presidents used to say, my fellow Americans, as an introductory device to a lot of different speeches. But that was a nice phrase, because basically, it meant that we're all part of one community, that it was referring to a collective that we're all a part of, that in a sense, creates an environment that we can talk to each other a little bit, because we're fellow Americans. By implication, we have lots in common. And what separates us is issues, not us as people. And it's that kind of rhetorical pattern that I wish we'd kind of get back to a more inclusive rhetoric. 
this is a lot what you're going to go into during your panel admissions, correct? Okay. So how long is your panel going to be? Well, they're still organizing the panel, so I don't know who's going to be on it yet. Generally, the panel's, oh gosh, about an hour and a half, maybe an hour. Yeah, so each individual usually has about a half hour or so. Do we have a location for Visions? Oh, Wilson. Wilson, second floor. I think it's 255 and 235. It's on March 31st and April 1st from about 12 to about 5. So Friday and Saturday. So if you just show up to Wilson at those times on the second floor, you'll be able to find us. Awesome. So these panels will be set up essentially in classrooms. So people just come in and sit wherever they would like to. Yeah, and the conference is open to all people. There's no there's no registration fee, no cost involved. We encourage everyone to attend. I think it's, a, I've been involved with Visions, gosh, five, six years now. Mm-hmm. And it's always been a marvelous experience. And I, I think anyone who'd come, I think would have a good time. Yeah. And it's free and open to the public. And we would like to discourage the sort of town and gown separation. So if there are folks from the community that would like to come in and listen and kind of engage, that would be delightful as well. And it's really exciting for Wilson to be the home of Visions. Cola's got a new home in Wilson, and it's really starting to feel like it with, you know, real events happening and this whole conference going on. Yeah, before I forget, I, I guess I'd like to applaud the English department because even though this originated in the Department of English, they've always been very inclusive in terms of other departments taking part, inviting other faculty members from other disciplines to take part, present their research. And we've been growing gradually, I think, and we're having more you know interdisciplinary participation over time. And so don't feel like you have to be an English major to attend this. I think anyone in liberal arts and beyond should come to this conference. Yeah, and we've really tried to grow the panel so that I know I'm, I'm more involved on the, the creative writing side, but I know we're, we're bringing in alumni to speak about life after college. We're having folks, I'm sure y'all talk about it later, but professionals come in and talk about subjects that they're involved in, as well as students and as well as the creative writing competition and reading. So we really try to make it inclusive in terms not only of the NSU community, but beyond the NSU community. And, and Dr. Scott and I were talking about this beforehand because we've seen each other in the hallways and I've heard Dr. Scott speak, but we hadn't actually introduced each other. And it's something about being in academia, we get in our kind of little silos, our own little fiefdoms and and operate in them. And so Visions is a really wonderful chance to hear about what other folks in the faculty are researching and and have a chance to kind of talk with them on these subjects. And I I say nerdy and I I mean it in the warmest sense possible and that it's just a real joy to kind of sit and hear about someone who really knows their topic and has researched it deeply and get a chance to engage with those ideas and be exposed to new ideas. And before I forget, I've always wanted to ask, I don't think we talked about it last episode that didn't air. Do you have a panel that you're covering or are you just the band behind the scenes, not so behind the scenes, pulling all the strings? Me personally? Yeah. So I'll be moderating a bunch of them. I think the sometimes I dip my toe in like last year, I talked about hypertext because we were, we were doing a panel on digital narrative. I think this year, Dr. Shelburne who teaches the poetry workshop and I, because I focus more on fiction, are going to do a faculty reading. So I'll be reading some of my work there. And we may try to get one or more faculty kind of involved in that as well. But I think beyond kind of running things and moderating, that will be my heaviest participation. Yeah, I'll try to read something that is right on the verge of acceptable for the public. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) You did mention that you guys just met. And I remarked just a minute ago that it's like two legends meeting for the first time. <laughs> yeah. I don't know about legend, but yeah, uh, I'll, I'll but take we'll, it. We'll time. take it. Yeah. yeah. Icon, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, they're legends. <laughs> yeah. Scott Murphy and Beyonce. We're, we're off the yes. time. Yes. Together. Yes. Yeah. Dr. Scott, your next visions appearance is as the facilitator of a panel titled the Will Smith slap questioning gender-based stereotypes schemas in the framing of conflict episodes. Like your essay, this panel sounds super thought provoking. So what can you tell us about it? Well, it actually, 
actually kind of started in a class that I teach, conflict management. And as you know, there was a recent episode at the Oscars where Chris Rock, as the MC of the show, made somewhat a disparaging remark about Will Smith's wife. And as a result of this, you know, he walked up and, and gave Chris Rock a hard slap. And I think it's episodes like this that allow us to sort of question underlying scripts of behavior. The idea that a man has to defend the honor of his wife. And when we talk about issues like toxic masculinity, women are obviously the victims of that. But I think also men are also trapped in, in cycles of toxic masculinity as well. And so the question I would put to any, everyone in this room would be, what was Will Smith supposed to do? He was roundly condemned for engaging in a violent act, and he probably should have been. But if he just sat there and not done anything, would he also have been condemned? That we kind of have what we call these double binds that we create where people feel trapped in terms of sort of, you know, expectations in terms of what a man's supposed to do. But also it traps women into a position of, uh, you know, subordination, I would argue, because it sort of implies that women can't stand up for themselves. Now, that's an argument and you don't have to agree with that. But that's some of to me is some of the implications. And we had a very robust class discussion on this. And I thought it might provide the basis of perhaps a good faculty panel. And so we've got some other very strong faculty members who are going to be on this panel. Uh, Suzanne Farmer comes to mind that she's a very strong individual in her own right and a very high powered intellect. And I think she'll probably have her own perspectives on how this issue should be analyzed. I want to pose a question. So you say that he would have been stuck whether he did act or not. So as a man, though, would he have had as big as repercussions from this if he had sat there and just laughed it off as he would have if he had resorted to violence? Well, that's a good question. And I'm going to ask another uncomfortable question. So I'm I'm sorry, I'm evading your question to some extent, I guess. (laughs) But to what extent do women contribute to toxic masculinity and the idea that women expect men to defend their honor? And a lot of people have looked at the nonverbals of the video. I don't know if you had a chance to watch. It's on YouTube. I urge you to check it out. That she actually flashed him a look. And at that point, he felt compelled to... uh, engage in exchange with Chris Rock, which ultimately ended in a violent act. And so let me pose the question to you once again, do women play a part in the stubble bind as well? I mean, possibly. I haven't thought too much into it, but wouldn't that also be another thing that women are being blamed for? We'll be back after a quick break. Santec Screening is your one-stop shop for all types of custom products. Santec is a third-generation, women-owned screen printing, embroidery, engraving, and vinyl company. We are Tara-certified and licensed to print for Northeastern State University and Oklahoma State University. T-shirts, hoodies, sweatshirts, embroidered and patched hats, uniforms, beanies, tote bags, duffel bags, towels, engraved tumblers, ink pens, keychains, trophies, plaques, and more. If you or your business, student organization, or department need it, Santec can print it. Conveniently located in downtown Tahlequah since 1984. Call 918-458-0312 or stop by and see us at 120 North Water Avenue. I don't blame's the right word. I think it's sort of attitudes that we're all socialized into. That way, in a sense, we all have a script of what we consider normal and appropriate behavior. That in a sense, we have expectations based on gender in terms of how we should handle certain conflict episodes. And the very nature of that a man has to defend a woman's honor, I think it's detrimental on both levels. That a woman can't stand up for herself, and also a man's considered less of a man if he doesn't stand up for his woman. But I, I know I'm on thin ice here, and, uh, <laughs> and so I, 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 hopefully I won't get too much hate mail from well, this podcast. The whole topic of this discussion will be on another episode, so I don't want to get too far okay. into it, but I really appreciate you answering the questions and delving a little bit into what this is about. But that's okay. <laughs> Angel, I wanted to pose a counter question to right, your question. Is Will Smith really facing 
repercussions from this event? It was, was banned from the Oscars. There was a period of a month or so where studios were saying, we're not hiring this guy anymore. He's going to get help. He's not going to be at the Oscars. But he has projects coming up. I mean, I've seen announcements. They're doing I Am Legend 2. They're doing another Bad Boys movie. Like, he's not facing long-lasting repercussions from this, it doesn't seem. And it could be that he benefited from this episode with certain elements of the, of the audience. But I still think we should question the template and the script. Now, Murphy, you're not helping me out at all here. (laughs) So I'm curious if you have any sort of perspective on some of the issues identified here. Well, I mean, I feel like there's kind of two aspects. I think about it in like the literary aspect, right? So if you think about George Orwell and shooting an elephant, right? Or I can't think of the name of the Tim O'Brien story when he's drafted and he's trying to think about whether to go to war. And in both of those stories, some have elements of war, some have elements of colonialism and post-colonialism. So they're enmeshed in other areas. But in both those stories, the central question is, there's a thing that I don't want to do and that I find immoral. And yet society compels me to do that thing. And I only end up doing it because I fear society's condemnation, right? Or I fear being judged to be lesser because I didn't do those. And so I think it's something that we grapple with all over the place, right? And I think that MJ, your question is really interesting because there's also, and this also goes to what Dr. Scott was talking about earlier about identity is It makes it very easy in kind of a culture war aspect to take the opposing side and make that a cause celeb, right? So you have folks that are quote unquote canceled, right? You've got Louis C.K. or you've got Morgan Wallen, right? And I think Dr. Scott's point about it benefiting their careers because they're not canceled at all. They face some social kind of appropriation and then go away, give a PR crafted response. And a lot of times folks will either treat that as if they've washed themselves of what they've done without any further work or will actually see them as victims or martyrs that they need to be kind of celebrated because they were canceled and victimized by this judgmental kind of culture. So I I won't get into the kind of the gender implications so much because I feel like that's out of my own depth, but it's amazing how quickly these things become like in the center of culture and they become very vitriolic, right? I mean, I remember the discourse around the Will Smith slap and people just getting furious on both sides immediately and entrenching themselves in these really firm camps to the point that when you go, oh, do women play a role in this? It feels like you, you kind of pull back and you go, now hold on, right? Like that feels like an attack because it's so hard to talk about these things without it immediately spiking. A lot of that anger I saw online was directly at Jada. I know Jada is kind of a controversial figure in the limelight, but it was more directed at her than it was at Will. So I feel it might be a little lopsided in how the anger was displaced. There's also like, I don't mean to be reductive, but there's also times where it's like, oh, also that person was just acting like an a-hole, you know, like, like, you know, I think sometimes we can just kind of call lousy behavior for what it is and say this thing is like you can dance around, it, you can give a PR statement. But one thing I find really interesting in this whole discourse is people just aren't able to take the L and just admit that they were wrong. Be like, I was a jerk in that situation. I totally messed up. Like I shouldn't have done it. There's a lot of other stuff going in play. And like, it's my bad. It's got to be all manicured. And it's got to be oftentimes crafted as like a non-apology. I'm sorry you felt bad about that, right? And I think sometimes lowering the temperature of the room is just being able to say like, I was wrong. Well, obviously, I need some help teaching this class, meaning conflict management class I teach. And so I invite everyone's input. In a utopian world, what should have Will Smith and Jada how should they have handled, you know, because how we act to provocation is a key aspect whether or not conflicts can be handled constructively or destructively. And so what should they have done? It's something that we need to think about. I think we need to establish norms because I think the script that our culture dictates puts us down a destructive path. And so that's why I think it's worth talking about, you know, in the classroom, worth talking about this conference, that when we air these issues, we can maybe, you know, formulate different pathways of how we should behave you know, in the face of provocation. 
Yeah, that doesn't involve the social acceptability of violence. That's right. That's right. exactly yeah. right. Well, one other thing, the POV of the comedians, when is a joke still a joke or when is it going too far? So there's all kinds of different point of views for this type of thing. But let's move on. <laughs> there is the old saying that everything is permissible if it's funny enough. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, wow, this year's Visions Conference seems like it's going to be a really great time. There's going to be a lot of insightful works from students and faculty alike. And you might even see a couple more familiar faces there because MJ and I are also doing a panel over podcasting. And we're going to have a special guest, which happens to be Doria Lavagnino, who is my internship person that's over me this semester. So and she's amazing. She does a podcast called She Ventures that talks about women and their accomplishments in the corporate world. I'm really excited as someone who has experience outside of this podcast doing podcasts. I'm kind of pumped to meet students who are interested in this field because especially in the last year or so and especially doing this podcast, I've gotten a lot of experience doing this sort of thing. And I'm just pumped to share that. I'm really excited about that. Yeah, I really appreciate Murphy for you even suggesting it and for allowing us to take hold of it. And one additional plug I'd like to make if I can is that you know, during my time at NSU, and I've worked here for quite some time, is that we've seen ever increasing emphasis on undergraduate research and undergraduate academic activity outside the classroom. And one of the things that's really nice about the Visions as a conference is that it has a whole venue for undergraduates to participate, to share their academic work, to interact with faculty mentors, and also engage you know, a certain level of interdisciplinary experience, which I think also, that's where some of the best research I think takes place is that where someone attends an English panel, I think oh, I didn't know about that literary theory. I might be able to apply it somewhere else. And you know, I think that's just enriching all the way around. And so I, I think we need to, this sounds a bit critical, but I think we need to promote it perhaps more effectively with the undergraduate students all over campus. I know that we have a very high profile honors program on campus. It'd be nice to see some of the honors students attend this conference. And we already have undergraduate research day. And, and so we've got other parallel events that I think there could be a, a synergistic relationship with. And so I would encourage you know, all the students here at NSU to, you know, when the program comes out, check it out and see if there's some panels that might interest you and come see us. It'll be, it'll be a good experience. Yeah. And for those students who would like to head a panel, Murphy, are there any more openings? And if so, how would they be able to reach out to fill that? There should be more openings. And, and Dr. Scott's absolutely right that as a venue for kind of undergraduates to not only show their work, but also to get a little bit of experience in presenting their work, to get a little experience in the kind of conference life. Because so much of the work we do, you know, in, on the, the writing side, so much of the work we do, the stuff that I kind of focus on, it's lonely work, right? A lot of times you're doing it by yourself. You're doing it kind of for yourself until you hopefully get an audience. And, and oftentimes research is the same where you're just kind of sitting and plugging away in the in the archives and in the library and work in Excel and, and SPSS and all that. And these conferences are really a chance for folks to kind of come into the sunlight a little bit and hear other the works of others and present their own work. And this is oftentimes what both academics and folks who are more in the kind of creative side do, is they go to these conferences, they go to these readings and have a chance to enter into a community. And so I know undergrads, like a lot of times it's like, it's in April and oh, it's so busy and there's just a ton of things due and you're a little wore out and taking on another responsibility is rough, but I promise it's not as heavy a lift, nor is it like as daunting a, a public speaking type engagement as it might feel. You know, I know folks are terrified of public speaking. I understand that. But this is a very warm and supportive and, and oftentimes not very large event. So it's a great chance for students to get their feet wet in terms of presenting their work and, and hearing the work of others and putting something on your resume and all that without facing a lecture hall of 100 people or whatever. So it'd be like for undergrad, there's Dr. Strout, Dr. Arena Strout is handling the kind of more academic side. For faculty, Dr. Farmer, Dr. Joe Farmer is handling that. And then for the things that are a little bit more creative or a little bit 
bit more kind of loosey-goosey, whether they be about employment or whether they be about presenting creative work or, or about new media or whatever. If students are interested in any of those aspects, you can just get in touch with me or in general, just get in touch with me and I'll direct you to someone. And the easiest way is probably my email, which is murphy, M-U-R-P-H-Y-07 at nsuok.edu. So any questions, desires to participate, whatever, you listeners out there, just give me a holler. And just to recap everything, visions, where is it? What's taking place? It is Friday, March 31st and Saturday, April 1st from 12 to 5 in Wilson Hall on the second floor. I believe rooms 235 and 255. And just one thing I want to add. I agree totally with Murphy, all the advantages of attending the conference. One of the things that I know a lot of our students are thinking about is going to graduate school. And increasingly, graduate schools are requiring more of a portfolio in terms of their application. That if you've presented research at a conference or you participated in co-curricular activities such as Visions, they'll make your application that much stronger and you have a better chance of admission and also a better chance of getting, you know, financial assistance like an assistantship or other forms of scholarship. Because a lot of times, you know, the best kinds of experiences are going to be competitive. And the question that students need to ask themselves is, how can I set my application to graduate school apart from other people applying to graduate school? So I agree with you totally. It's a Vita hit that has a lot of utility if you're going to pursue a graduate degree. I agree. And as someone who's always trying to pad their resume and make my portfolio amazing, I really enjoy the chance. And I'm actually strangely comforted that it's going to be in a classroom instead of a huge conference room. So I'm excited. I think that just about wraps up this episode. Murphy, Dr. Scott, thank you again for coming on. Is there anything that we might have missed that you think we need to say? Ah, there is one thing I forgot because and you mentioned at the beginning, there is the creative writing competition aspect of Visions. That is fiction, poetry, and nonfiction. We'll be selecting three to five from each category to present their work at the conference. And then the winners in each category will get a signed copy of visiting writer Jane Blunchy's short story collection. And she'll be reading right afterwards. Awesome. Well, that's super exciting. And thank you again, guys, for coming in and talking to us. And thank you, listener, for listening to the Hawk Talk Morning Show. To stay on top of every episode, or if you want to listen to the backlog of wonderful episodes that have already released, follow us on Spotify or visit our website, nsunews.com. We will update every week or if things get crazy every other week and promote each episode on our social media platforms. You can follow us on Facebook at The Northeastern and our Instagram at TNE News. Stay tuned for our next episode. And as always, stay rowdy, NSU. Stay rowdy, please. The NSU Playhouse invites you to a night of laughter and fun with five women wearing the same dress. The show, written by Alan Ball and directed by NSU's own Dr. Robin Pursley, revolves around five bridesmaids avoiding the bride who they all secretly dislike. Starring both current students and alum, the show will take place at 7.30 p.m. on April 10th through the 13th at the NSU Playhouse located in downtown Tahlequah. The show will also be the fourth Golden Llama competition presented by NSU Drama. Student organizations with the most members in attendance of the show will win the Golden Llama Trophy. Who will be the student organization with the most members in attendance? Purchase tickets for the show at nsuplayhouse.ludus.com. That's nsuplayhouse.ludus.com.